0: We're rocking out, man. That's all I have to say. We are back. Let me know when uh, Mr. Dauber's ready to go, if you would, Andy. He is ready to go. Marvelous comics have conquered America from our multiplexes where Marvel and DC movies reign supreme to our television screens where comics-based shows like Walking Dead have become amongst the most popular in cable history to convention halls, bestseller lists, Pulitzer Prize winning titles, and MacArthur Fellowship recipients comics shape American culture in ways high and low, superficial, and deeply profound. Jeremy Dauber, how are you, sir? Hi, how are you? It's so great to be on the
5: show.
0: Well, it's nice to have you on the show. I can I can start out because I'm sure that every time you appear somewhere, people are thinking about their childhood and all the rest of it. And I was a huge fan of Richie Rich, but I never became a billionaire. What the hell is that all about, Jeremy?
5: <laughs> well, you know you have you have great taste. Uh, Richie Rich just was one of my childhood favorites as well. Love it. I'm, I'm sorry it didn't work out for either of us, but uh, <laughs> you know, hopefully, if I sell that. Hopefully, if you help me sell about ten billion books, then uh, then maybe it'll work out. You know, uh, no, I, you know, one of the things I love about um, this book, you know, is that everybody has some connection to comics in one way or sure. another. It's been really a pleasure to talk about it with people uh, in all sorts of different ways.
0: Yeah, no question about it. Whether it be the Superman comics, which were oh, man, some of those go for huge amounts of money now, and
1: Archie and Veronica, Archie
0: and Veronica. Oh! <laughs> Absolutely, Betty and Veronica.
1: Or, yeah. What was the name of that comic book?
6: Yeah, that was Archie, but Archie, yeah. Was it just Archie? Yeah. <clears throat> okay. No, there were about 20 different Archie branded yes, there comic were, books, yeah. Yes, that's true.
0: I suppose that is true, yeah. The sweeping story of cartoons, comic strips and graphic novels and their hold on the American imagination. Yeah, I it I did Now, Jeremy, did you see this as you point out in the in the pre-sell? Did you see the Marvel and DC and The Walking Dead and the? You get on the list. Did you see stories like that taking over basically the universe? My God, they're everywhere.
5: Well, you know, it was funny because I was. You're absolutely right. They they really are everywhere. And just increasingly, if you were like 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 us, if you were a comics fan from way back, to see some of these stories. Then playing themselves out, you know, on the small screen, on the big screen, you know, with just all of Hollywood, top talent, all of this kind of attention sort of being on it. That was amazing. But there was another amazing story that I wanted to, you know, that, that as you were saying, uh, I wanted to tell, too, which was when we were kids, if you had said, you know, your schools were going to be teaching graphic novels, your elementary schools, they're going to be in every public library. They're going to be winning, you know, you wouldn't have believed it. That would have been, right. uh, you know, too right. good to be true. So. And those were both part of that same story, and I wanted to tell both parts of that together. Um, and so that was sort of part of what brought me to the book.
0: You know, so amazing looking back, and I never realized, Jeremy, you just made me realize things about my life that I've never realized, but uh, I had a fascination with Beetle Bailey when I was a little kid, and, and I never knew why. Looking back, though, it was the Vietnam era. So naturally I had an interest in the United States Army.
1: Yeah, you had a brother in the war. My brother
0: was a United States Marine over in Vietnam. So, and there wasn't a United States Marine comic book. There was just an Army one with Beetle Bailey. So there you go.
5: Yeah, and and you know one of the interesting things about these these comic industries, you know, some of these Beetle Bailey lasts for decades and decades. For example, is you know how a comic that starts in one era, you know, really kind of. Uh, Changes a little bit or modulates to to deal with sort of the issues that are going on uh, in in you know in other eras. Um, So you know Archie, for example, like you were talking about before, that's a product of the nineteen forties. But obviously, it has to change, develop, you know, over the over the decades as well. Even if they still want that same kind of Riverdale vibe, uh, uh, you know, seven eight decades later. Now,
0: Jeremy, you have to understand, I was only four years old when I'm about to make this reference. I was four years old. And I remember opening the Sunday paper, the newspaper, and going, "My God, Blondie Dagwood, or whatever her name was, Bums, Blondie Bumstead, was that Bumstead, her name?"
1: Yeah.
0: I went, "My God, is she pretty?" <laughs> I'm looking at a cartoon as a four year old, going, "Hey, <laughs> you know."
5: Well, you know, you got back. It seems like at four, you know, to the to the roots of of the of Blondie's appeal. Uh, I talk about this in the book a little bit, but, you know, Blondie starts out as kind of a a flapper strip, right? Remember that old word? And it was one of the best gags for sort of advertising the strip in the history of the comic strip that people sent, the the syndicate that was publishing Blondie sent a luggage, uh, a piece of luggage full of, like, women's undergarments and negligees and things like that to all these different newspapers, claiming, I I promise, claiming that it was from (laughs) Blondie. It was like it got... You know, but what ended up happening, and it was like a strip about, you know, this flapper, and, and Dagwood was this sort of very rich guy. Um, and, you know, they ended up getting married, and Dagwood gets disinherited, and they moved to the suburbs. And then it becomes somehow, you know, that, that gets totally forgotten over the decades. And it becomes this kind of blondie and Dagwood we all grew up with, We're like this suburban kind of goofus dad and this, you know, this one who you know a homemaker. Um, and that's what we, you know, we just forgot about, that earliest part. But, but your instincts are dead on there. Uh, your
0: four-year-old instincts. I've learned a lot in the first seven minutes of this interview because looking <laughs> back now, uh, I, because of comic books and comic strips, I learned that I was heterosexual because I was attracted to a blonde woman at four years old. I learned that I could handle dealing with this war in Vietnam by laughing at Beetle Bailey. So there were some funny things about the military to me. I I'd never even realized until just now, Jeremy, that I dealt with life. Is that what everybody does? They, they deal with the life by being children, looking at comic strips and comic books?
5: I think that, you know, for a lot of kids, this comics medium is one of those first, uh, um, you know, uh, kinds of media that they encounter. Uh, in some fundamental and it teaches all sorts of lessons or it can you know this was one of those big questions about each of these comic scripts comic books when they came out is this teaching lessons about let's say fair play and being on the right side and sort of standing up for justice and truth and you know in the american way or what have you or is it saying you know like these comics oh you're going to get into mischief you're going to cause problems you know you're no, going to be sort of a right. you know, cat's and jammer kid um and, uh, you know, this was one of the reasons why these media sort of were a little bit controversial uh, when they came out, and at different points. But but nobody on either side of the issue disagrees that they're profoundly shaping uh, and educational. There's no question about that. Everyone agreed with that. So you're 100% right. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Jeremy. See, and I never even recognized that in my own brain that I did consider comic books and comic strips to be educational. Because I all every Sunday, and whenever a new uh, issue would come out, I would go to Hermes, which was a what do they call those back in the day? They were they're they're not. Uh, you know those little stores—they were kind of general stores, I guess. Okay, five uh-huh. dimes. Yeah. Hermes is a five and dime or general store. I would go down there, and I and I never realized that's how I, part in part, dealt with life by looking at things like yeah. that. That's that's what what do you know what the very first cartoon was? I have no idea.
5: Mickey Mouse? Well, you know, I mean, it, it depends how far you go back in America and in the world, because there's some sort of definition. But, you know, you could say, you know, you remember, we all learned about this in sort of elementary school, that, that uh, you know, colonial era the time of the Revolutionary War, that snake that's cut into pieces, you know, that says join or die, uh, you know, this sort of uh, recruiting poster for the colonists in the Revolutionary War. That was a comic all mm-hmm. of the year. <laughs> yeah. I mean. You know, you have these crazy things, but we really think about this in some ways um, from these comics that appeared in these magazines around the time of the Civil War, uh, in a lot of ways. And that—that's this guy Thomas Nast, who was sort of one of the most famous political cartoonists in American history, still extremely influential to this day. Um, so maybe that's a good place to start the story. But then it gets to this kind of newspaper comic that you were talking about, sort of growing up with, like we all grew up with, and that's really around the turn of the 20th century. That's 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 where our story really takes
0: us. You know, another thing I I learned just now by reading uh, your bio is that I have a lot in common with a Columbia professor. I didn't even, I never knew that, Jeremy. Now I know.
5: There you go. There you go, yeah. That was great. And you know, one of the things also that you were saying before that we have in common is that, and this is, you know, places us in a particular time, right, of going to Get our comics at a drug store or a general store, like you were saying, as opposed to yeah. a comic shop or right. you know, the, or, or Barnes and Noble. Um, you know, uh, you know, in a hardcover. That was, you know, that was a very particular, you know, era of of what the comic book business was. It was sort of a, a, a mom and pop shop uh, and newsstand trade. Um, you know, and and part of the story I tell in the book is, you know, how where you get your comics changes and what that means to the kinds of comics that can be made.
0: You know, Jeremy, I look, or do I have to call you Professor Dauber now? Because then I know you're a Columbia oh, no, yeah. professor. Jeremy's good. Yeah. <laughs> Jeremy's good. I Maybe I'm, I guess, uh, you know, jumping a little ahead here or jumping too far. But all these things are spinning through my head now looking back and reading comics when I was a kid. It seems to me that you know, not only husbands and wives dealt with one another and this and that and the other thing. But the first black characters that I can remember were in comic books. I do remember that, well, especially you know, the, the little kid in Charlie Brown.
5: That's absolutely right. I mean, you know, and in fact, you know, you were talking about Beetle Bailey before, uh, yeah. and it was interesting. More Walker, you know, introduces uh, Lieutenant uh, Flip. Uh, uh, right, and he does that, yep. you know, because he has this meeting with these uh, these black soldiers. Uh, no, excuse me, he has these meeting at Ebony Magazine. Excuse me, um, and they say to him, you know, you are you are telling a story about you know the army. Um, and and you really in the Vietnam era and you're really not representing sort of the demographics of what the army looks like and what Walker said you know you're absolutely right um, I have to introduce a character that represents that side of it too and thus this new character was born and really as you say I think introduces a new kind of representation to a wide swath of comics reading kids and comics reading public and that's going on in peanuts as well um, sure. you know Charles yeah. does it Response to uh, uh, some correspondence from from fans saying you know we'd like to see a black character, uh, you know that that dynamic is really important between sort of artist and audience.
0: Jeremy, I do remember Flip talking to uh, the Colonel, and this is a hundred years ago. Maybe I don't know. It was a long time ago, <laughs> but he's talking to him, and Flip's in a bad mood. He's just not feeling well, or he just he's just not in a great mood, or it's not crabby, but he's just not in a good mood, right? And they're talking and at the very end, the last frame, the colonel looks at Flip, a black soldier, and says, why are you in such a black mood? And Flip looks at what would be the camera. In other words, he's in the cartoon looking out at you like, does he realize what he just said? I mean, even as a little kid, I knew that. that very educational, I thought. Absolutely. Absolutely.
5: And I think that that gets, you know, not only is it sort of teaching lesson. Um, uh, but it gets to that wonderful interplay that comics does so well between text and image. You know, that's the yeah. kind yep. of scope that it's kind of hard to do on paper in any other kind of medium. I mean, you could kind of do, you could do it on TV, the but it, it sort of predates that kind of thing at the office, right? You could almost see uh, Steve Carell uh, doing something like that uh, yeah. in the office. Um, but but yeah, you know, this predates that by decades, obviously, right in the comics.
0: Jeremy, do you remember the one that really caught your attention? It was was there a comic that the, the first one that ever caught your attention? And you went, man, this is amazing.
5: You know, uh, I, I think I'm a, I'm a little younger than you, um, and the one that I remember just sort of tearing down the Sunday paper to get to, uh, you know, was Calvin and Hobbes.
6: Oh uh, God, that
5: yes.
6: was <laughs> Andy. You know, yeah, I grew up with Calvin and Hobbes. I was very very upset when it. Uh, the run ended.
1: Yep. You wanted to write yeah. a letter.
6: Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I couldn't have been more than what, like 10 years old when it ended? When did Calvin and Hobbes end? His cat's named Tom uh, Yeah. Nice. Yeah,
5: it ended after, I was lucky enough that it ended, I don't remember the exact date, but it, it ended after I uh, was a little older so I could sort of handle the loss a little mm. bit, but but not really. Because, 95. So you know, it was shut a, yeah. what, 95? Yep. Yeah.
6: Okay, so, yeah, so, I, was yes, nine. So I was already
5: in college, right? um, but it, you know, it was such a, as they would say in the movies, right? Such a four quadrant strip. I mean, it really mm-hmm. just appealed to children, to adults, everybody, and you know, it was, a, you know, you don't normally get. Uh, God gave Watterson with both hands, you know, Um, just a tremendous artist and also just one of the most brilliant comedians uh, of his or maybe any generation. Um, Just what a talent.
6: And he's also never relinquished creative control over those characters even once, I don't think. He's never syndicated it in uh, – well, not syndicated, but, you know, he's never had other authors continue it. He's never made a movie, a TV show, anything. It's just ten years of the comic – and that's what you get. He never did he any marketing of the of the items either. They never so. sold
7: toys. The ones that you right. see out there, from my understanding, are all uh, yeah. illegal. I think so. Wasn't yeah.
1: he angry because they reduced the size of the frames or something, and that's why he said goodbye? Oh, really? I think that
5: I think I, that's, you're, you're exactly right. That mm-hmm. one of the things that he was very angry about was an effort uh, to kind of reduce. Uh, uh, um, you know, you know, his size, that was something that that people continued to do um, in the comics, in the newspaper business, to reduce the size of the strips. Mm-hmm. And there's a real plausible argument to be made that it really, uh, you know, killed off certain kinds of strips uh, that really depended on sort of beautiful art. And Watterson was very against it. when he could. He sort of used his contracts to try and, you know, fight against it. But uh, I think you know he felt that in some ways the, the writing was on the wall. Um, but you know, he gave us a great run. Um, And and my kids, I have little kids of my own, and they are looking over these book collections, and they still, you know, I hear giggling coming from (laughs) the other room, and I know they're looking at Calvin and Hobbes. That's
1: such a great...
0: You know, Jeremy, what's really kind of sad is when I go out to the curb now to pick up our newspaper, the Star Tribune or the Pioneer Press in Minneapolis and St. Paul, it's about the size of a napkin now. Uh, And that was the big deal for me is going out and getting the newspaper as a little kid, and reading the comic section. They're, kids don't read the comic section anymore, do they? They watch television. That's what they do, correct?
5: Well, I, I think you're absolutely right that, uh, you know, the, the days of newspapers, of print newspapers, are really, you know, they're, they're over in a lot of fundamental ways. And that's very yes. sad to those of us who grow grill- You know, yep. I don't necessarily think that that means the end of kids reading comics on sort of a regular replenishing medium. They're just doing it sort of on screens. Um, there are comic places like Webtoons, um, you know, they're, they're, they're reading books by people like Raina Telgemeier or Dav Pilkey. Uh, you know, they're, there's, there's, uh, they're certainly watching a lot of more television, but, but they're doing these other things as well, and, and, you know, there's just a wide, tremendous variety of comics that are available to them. In certain ways, many, many more than we were able to see, even in the most packed comic supplement that we got in the newspapers as kids. Um, So it's both sad, but also there's some celebration involved, too.
0: Mm -hmm. No, that makes sense. Now, I do have to reference this because it it made a... Comics cartoons made a big shift once the Japanese got a hold of them. (laughs) This anime thing is pretty amazing. Holy
5: God. I think, you you know, one of the things I talk about, the, the book is really about American comics, but you can't really right. talk about American comics without some of the influences that are on it from other countries. Right. Um, and, you know, it's an, so it's an interesting story where, you know, we, uh, Americans, really sent out some of our comics products all around the world, and, and, and perhaps most famously, although not only, you know, the comic strips, and specifically Walt Disney, um, mm-hmm. and, you know, the Japanese, He's, you know, they saw Disney and they were enraptured with it, uh, particularly, right. you know, and, and, and their form, their manga, was really fundamentally influenced by that. Uh, and then it comes back to America uh, in this kind of altered form. And, you know, starting about, you know, maybe a little bit less than a generation ago, manga becomes an essential influence and part uh, of what American comics readers are reading. Uh, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. You can't tell that story. Uh, of American comics without sort of thinking about that, too. Uh, right. You know, Absolutely. Yeah. Go,
0: on, go on. I'm so sorry. Go on. No, no, no. I, I, I'm fascinated by your take on that. You really spent a lot of time. What, what got you involved, first of all? Did, did, obviously, you were a big fan as a child. Did you always want to tell this story?
5: You, you know, not necessarily, although I think my 12-year-old self or my 10-year-old will be really happy with what's going on right now. <laughs> right, um, right. But, but, you know, I really, you know, I, I, I read a lot of comics as a kid, um, you know, mostly, as we're saying, sort of comic strips then superhero comics, then kind of left it, came back to it. Um, you know, I was right at the age where um, when I was ready to come back to it, the medium had kind of really moved again to sort of more adult comics, um, you know, and, and, and I was able to sort of learn more about this. And I said, you know what, there's a real story here that I'd like to try and teach in a class at Columbia. Um, and I was very lucky that um, the former president of DC Comics, this guy Paul Levitz, um, who had just stepped down, was looking for uh, an opportunity to team teach. So we spent a few years uh, we spent a few years teaching uh, a class together, which has been amazing. Uh, and then I said, you know what? Um, there's a book in this, uh, and that was uh, that was really how it started.
0: I got to read this paragraph. This is a great paragraph. Dauber's story shows not only how comics have changed over the decades, but how American politics and culture have changed them. Throughout, he describes the origins of beloved comics, champions neglected masterpieces, and argues that we can understand how America sees itself through though, the, through uh, whose stories comics tell. Um, Striking and revelatory, American comics is a rich chronicle of the last 150 years of American history. You're talking about uh, the Civil War there. Uh, yeah. In a way, yeah, absolutely. Uh, through that's the right. lens of its comic strips, political cartoons, superheroes, graphic novels, and more. See, I, I, I agree. America did change because of comics, which in my mind, it changed for the better, to tell you
3: the truth.
5: I think that's right. You know, And uh, one of the examples that I, that I give in the book is that... Um, you know, uh, uh, comics, bec- in no small part because the first people who were doing that wave of superhero comics in the late 30s, the very early 40s, were very largely Jewish. Not entirely, but very largely. They were more attuned to Hitler's menace than, you know, some parts of the rest of the United States. There's a lot of pro isolationist sentiment in the United States. And I think that, you know, Captain America, for example, comes out before Pearl Harbor uh, with that first cover of smacking Hitler on the jaw. Um, And I really (laughs) think that that helped. Yeah, you know, so I really think that helped get America, you know, ready to to enter the war, uh, which you know was an unambiguously good thing uh, to fight the Nazis. So, you know, I think you're right. You know, uh, so comics changed American politics, uh, and American politics changed comics too, right? I mean, it's uh, you know when you have uh, in the Vietnam era that we were talking about before. You have sort of an increasing uh, dis- you know, disillusionment with American government uh, in the wake of that. You know, you can see that in the comic books as well. Um, they become much less sort of, uh, you know, explicitly pro-American government, uh, in, you know, in a certain kind of way, many of them. So it's a very interesting story, and, you know, I, I hope I do justice to it in the book.
0: So... Jeremy, i got a very tough question for you, one that I could not answer in any way, shape, or form. So how did we get from laughing at comics politically to the cancel culture we have today? What the hell happened,
5: Jeremy? (laughs) Man. Well, uh, you know, I I think that one of the things that, uh, you know, is really sort of very good and very positive that's going on in comics, you know, is that you're having a very wa- a much wider opportunity ever than before for a whole bunch of different people to tell their stories. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I, some of that has to do with technological factors. Uh, you know, for a long time, really, if you wanted to be in the mainstream comics business, or right, the corporate comics business, let's call it, you really had to live right near New York City. Because, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't send in your art, uh, you know, in time uh, by the mail to get a monthly kind of comic going. So, you know, that really meant that if you were someone who was living out in the middle of the country, if it meant that you were living in a different country, um, you know, you didn't have the right context, you just weren't part of those stories. Um, and people, as they always do, tend to work with people who they know. Um, and that really closed things off nowadays, you know, with the internet, if you, whoever you are, if you put something on, uh, the internet and you get, you know, 15 million people liking it, which is not impossible these days, you, people are going to, you know, the companies are going to pay attention to that, right? They're going to they're say, maybe we can use this. Um, and so you have this sort of much wider kind of uh, mm-hmm. opportunity of representing stories. And, and as a fan of story, you know, I think that's tremendous, right? You get these, like you were saying yes. with Flip, right? You get these different perspectives that, you know, you hadn't thought about and you learn and you, you have mm-hmm. different stories. And especially when it comes to, you know, uh, characters that have been in the public eye for 80, 90 years. You know, they've churned through a lot of stories, so it's always nice to have some new uh, wellsprings uh, to, to have this. You know, sometimes well, but one of the reasons that some people come uh, to and have relationships with comics is not because of the only, or not only because of the newness, but also because of the familiar. Um, and, and, and sometimes it's uncomfortable for for some people when, you know, they have a very set sense of what a character is or what a story should be or is. Uh, and, and, and they, they, they have different ones than they expected. Um, and, and that can lead to being upset. Um, you know, I mean, you, you take as an example, uh, having nothing to do with sort of, you know, this is from 30 years ago, um, when DC decided to kill off one of the Robin characters, Batman and Robin, mm-hmm. um, right. and, and let me tell you that did not go over, uh, very well <laughs> uh, when, they, when they did that, um, and you know, and and the next but they kill them, so the next person comes, the next character comes, and makes the argument that the fans do, which is basically saying, you know, Batman needs a Robin. That's just how it goes. Right. Um, you have to take me because Batman needs a Robin. And you know, you can you can understand in certain ways, uh, you know, that side of the uh, the impulse as well. So, uh, you know, one of the things. So, so I think that's an interesting sort of tension and push and pull, sort of the tension of the new the Unrepresented, the underrepresented uh, in terms of story, in terms of diversity, and sort of the saying of "Wait a minute, you know this has been this way." Um, my, my, the shock of unfamiliar uh, is, is is difficult for for some people.
7: But now, are they swinging too far to the other side? Uh, listen. You know, I've got uh, people through my friends and family that are homosexual in nature, but now it seems like in the DC universe specifically, they've now, uh, Superboy is gay or bisexual, the new Robin is gay, uh, this character's gay. It's like everybody's coming out of closets now. They feel this need to flip every superhero into a different ethnicity or different sex or sexual preference, Uh, not necessarily even for a story, but just to try to placate people, do you feel that there's a problem with that?
5: I think that, you know, for me, the criterion is always going to be whether or not um, I'm hearing a new story that that is interesting for me. Mm. Uh, Mm. And if it's something that serves, you know, a a powerful statement, then then that's fantastic. Um, If it it is, uh, you know, resonating, that's fantastic. If it's something that's done, you know, uh, for a stunt, um, then you know it, it should be treated as it is for a stunt. But uh, you know, in, you know, so it's a, it's always going to be a case by case basis uh, for certain kinds of things. But the thing itself, I don't have a problem with. I think it's just you right. know, those are right. always the criteria uh, that it has to be. And I, and I suspect that uh, you know many of all of the creators, nobody. I think maybe maybe some of the corporate haunches, you know, about different stunts. But nobody who's writing these stories sets out to say, I'm just going to do a stunt because I don't care about the story that I tell. That You know, that's not really how these creators work. They say, you know, I, I think this is an important story, to so tell. I'm going to try and tell it uh, as best and as honestly as I possibly can. Particularly now, I think that, you know, in the 30s and 40s, there was much more of an attitude uh, of, you know what? it's Thursday, we got to get this story out um, because we've got, you know and now people are saying, like, oh, these are stories that we want to tell and they're important, and so you know,
0: we'll see what happens I know you only got a couple of minutes left, Jeremy, but I do have to bring up the the at one time living god of comics for all Minnesotans, and of course that would have been Charles Schultz mm-hmm. unbelievable oh. amazing yeah. St. Paul, I'm, I'm, Minnesota's I mean, own
5: <laughs> what what a, you know, and and you know, he's one of these, you know, uh, one of one of these characters uh, that has not only received all of the popular uh, uh, adulation that he deserves, but he's also received all the critical approbation that he deserves. Right? He yeah. really, yeah. uh, you know, when 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 the, the, the sort of most elite highbrow uh, comic company in the in the United you know, States, Fantagraphics. Sort of reprinted all of the collected peanuts. You know, they get President Obama. You know, to write an introduction, right? I mean, this is somebody. You know, <laughs> just, it, it, it's it's amazing, and and he deserves it. You know, you read these comics, and you're like, how can you get such profundity? You know, into these into in such depth uh, into these into these couple of panels, um, and, and 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 it's like a, it's like Fred Astaire. You know, you 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 you, you don't understand how it can look so simple and yet just be so amazing at the
0: same time. No question. Jeremy Dauber, D-A-U-B-E-R. The book is available everywhere. Certainly go to Amazon. The sweeping story of cartoons, comic strips, and graphic novels, their hold on the American imagination. I'm glad they have a hold on the American imagination because it helped me as a child. I can guarantee you that. Jeremy, please come back. I'd love to talk more about the the psychology and and the politics and all of it about, about cartoons. I'd love to have that conversation with you
5: that's great let's do it i'd love that that would be
0: wonderful thank you sir have a great day
5: thank you have a great day thank
0: you so much Bye. jeremy Dauber, ladies and gentlemen the book again is called american comics a history we'll be right back in a couple of minutes with the family dan chesky's here from dan's Southside marine it won't be long now until we start seeing boats on the water
3: warmer temps and open water are coming soon tom we have inventory in stock now from Alumacraft, Premier, Avalon, and Manitou with more arriving daily. What's the secret to finding a
0: boat you're looking for this year, Dan?
3: My recommendation is to shop now, pick a model, put your name on it. Our team of pros at Dance Side Marine will have the knowledge and experience to get the boat you want equipped the way you want it equipped. What about financing options? Right now, we are offering low-interest financing options up to 144 months with qualified credit.
0: at its lowest price ever. These sheets are 60% off, coming in as low as $39.99 with promo code TOM. I love this song. That's all I have to tell you. Thank you again to Jeremy Dauber, professor, Columbia professor Jeremy Dauber, talking about cartoons, comic books, all the rest of it. Because I didn't really think about that until I talked to uh, Jeremy about this, that that comics influenced my childhood. There's no question about that. I wanted to be Richie Rich. No, I don't, like I said, I didn't become a billionaire, so it didn't really work out, but...
9: There's you know, still time. There. There's yeah. still,
0: yes. There's, there's like
7: Twitter talk to me. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right, ladies and gentlemen. You to know,
1: invent something huge.
7: Tom, though, you're talking about the influence. Now, look... Comics' biggest boon was the late '60s, '70s, and '80s. The
6: Silver Era, yeah. Right,
7: and now you have to consider all of those kids that grew up reading that—that that really kind of concentrated, amazing era of art and storytelling—are now adults running movie companies. Mm. That's why we're seeing yeah, superheroes true. and Godzilla yep. and anime That's at true. its apex right now. You know, which sadly means in about ten years, it's all going to be Pokemon and and. Uh, my little pony but at oh, this point at least is, we're getting me. we're getting some uh, decent <laughs> nerd review this is our chance to step up mm-hmm.
1: hey the- don't don't dis pokemon andy <laughs> was the biggest fan of
6: pokemon oh he yeah. was i caught all of them all 150 yeah but the funny you thing did? is mm-hmm. oh, on the pokemon go game uh no in the pokemon original oh, game, right. game boy pokemon red yeah i got every last one i was so proud I I mean, I was also 12,
7: so, you know. I had. uh, I grew up watching all the Croft Super Shows and fun cartoons on Saturday morning, and one Mm -hmm. of my favorites was Land of the Lost.
9: Mm -hmm. And when they released
7: it on DVD, I bought the complete DVD set, I brought it home, I sat all of my kids down, so there's like six of us in the living room. I pop it in, I make popcorn, we're going to watch, forget Jurassic Park Kids, this... This is Dinosaurs. This is... And we watched five minutes of it, and one by one, each one of my kids kind of slowly stood up and looked at me and shook their head and walked into the other room. And uh, it did not live up to my memory and the the childlike hype I had for it. It never does. But I had to laugh because I'm like, you know... You might be shaking your head at me right now, but in thirty years, you're going to be sitting down with your kids and popping in Pokemon. Oh, absolutely! And they're yeah. going to be yep. listening to cartoons: Pika, Pika, Pikachu, Pika, mm-hmm. pika, yeah. pika. And your Maybe kids are going to look at you, you like kidding? you've been licking too many albums.
6: Yeah. But I'm wrong.
7: Pika. Pika, Pokemon's just as big now, thirty years later, yeah. as it was when yeah, it came yeah, out. It it's crazy. Sure it's probably
6: bigger, honestly.
1: I have a friend who just had a baby boy named Charlie, and I was like, "How do you feel about me calling him Charmander?" Mm. <laughs> she was like,
6: "Not <laughs> good, Alex." Yeah, thing. there you,
0: you go. About Char- Amelia, uh, yeah, or Charlie <laughs> yeah. yeah. We have uh, is Reverend Tim in guess. studio? Yes, he is. Reverend Tim, how are you? I'm doing good,
8: sir. How are you doing?
0: Never, never better <laughs> is all I know. Well, that's a good
1: thing. I need to give a little backstory on the. Reverend.
0: Oh, she, here, my wife's got a backstory. Here she we go. Okay, I've <laughs> been
1: following you on Twitter for I don't even know, a couple of years, I think. And you're the highlight of Twitter for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Well, 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 my day is done. Yeah, I, right.
8: am, I can go home and, and be a proud man right now.
1: Uh, <laughs> he, go, he goes after everybody. It's like, Good. if it's wrong, it's wrong. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
0: you know, that's what life is all about. No, uh, We've we got to start at the very beginning. Uh, Reverend Tim Christopher in studio with us, ladies and gentlemen. i got to ask. Uh, because I probably lived in the house you lived in, because I lived in, like, 35 different houses in North Minneapolis. <laughs> so I probably eventually lived in one of the houses you lived in if you moved around at all.
8: I We moved around a little bit until we finally settled down the one house. <laughs> yes, sir. Hey, yes, sir. Where was that house? Uh, 2729 North 3rd Street. We was right behind oh, sure. the Fairview Park, uh, yep. right there on the freeway. We was right in the middle of everything that was going down. I was, you know, mm. a couple blocks off of Broadway, Couple blocks off of Lindell and right off Penn, so uh, everything that went down was pretty much in my in, in my area.
0: One of my favorite stories about that, because I grew up all the way from every I mean, 11th and uh, 11th and 4th Street down there, even south of to- Plymouth Avenue, mm-hmm. to all the way up to 3315 Russell Avenue North was the last place. I mean, I lived in everywhere in. in in North (laughs) Minneapolis, but one of my favorite things about where you lived, that whole area down there, we lived at 2201 6th Street North for a long time, but right by your house, just about two or three blocks away, there's a church on the corner of Lindale and 26th. Yep. It's right down there, right? Yeah, big church. And I'm walking through the neighborhood one day, and I looked over. And somebody stole Jesus. we <laughs> <laughs>
7: will never forget it. <laughs> you say stole. Maybe they just found Jesus. <laughs> yeah, maybe they I, found Jesus. Like that. That's true. They may have found I like Jesus. That. They
8: found it. <laughs> finally, finally. Hey, a little, oh. little, little story here real quick, if you don't mind. Uh, I love it. I'm, I'm, I love it. Uh, I, I've been a fan of yours all the way back in the day. Um, oh when God. I When I first got here to Minnesota, uh, I used to pull wire. I do security systems for a living. Okay. And uh, I used to go into all these homes that were, you know, just built. And you have the electricians and the plumbers and everybody in there. And, uh, man, electricians and plumbers love you to death. And I remember back in the KQ days, anytime I would go into these buildings, you would be on the air. That's how, I, that's how I, it caught on with, with me. You caught on with me. Was listening when I would go in there, all the guys would have their radios. I mean, it'd be four radios in there, and every single one of them is on your station. And uh, so I I didn't have a choice but to uh, become a fan, so... (laughs) So I'm a. <laughs> well, thank you, Reverend. I'm, 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 yeah, a, I'm a, a fan. Stu- <laughs> now you know how his stu- kids feel. Oh, is that how you? That, I met your daughter on the way in there. So yeah, I'm his yeah. son too. Oh, oh, yeah. all three of you guys. Yeah. Okay, and then and then your one son over here. I don't oh, no. know. Now I don't he, know what you. I don't know what I'd be happy to be one. But, I I don't, I don't know what you did to him, but he's got this funny looking sweatshirt on. Oh dear. Uh, oh. When, when I come Coming in from
7: a Packer backer, he got, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. Reverend Tim's a Packer fan. Well, he's wearing
8: yes, a Packer
1: sweatshirt. And I got,
8: a, I got my Packer sweatshirt on. So I had to represent and then <laughs> I come in and he's got a Viking shirt anyway. I'm, gonna, I'm never going to start with him, but I like his Pika man uh, story he had. So now I, I like him
0: anyway. <laughs> so we're good to go. We're good to go on that one. We're good to go. <laughs> So, uh, Reverend Tim, how old were you when you when you moved to North Minneapolis? I,
8: I moved to North Minneapolis in 1996. Shoot, I okay, 96, all that. right. Yeah. So yeah, we, we bought our first house there when Mayor Sales Shell, Belton was having that program that she was trying to bring back uh, bring back the community when they would tear a house down, and then mm-hmm. build a brand new one, and uh, you give them two thousand dollars and they'll give you a brand new house. Yeah, uh, we got into that program. And um, they promised us that they were going to keep doing that, knocking down some of these blight houses that these crack users and dope fiends were living out of and causing the neighborhood's problems.
7: Why did you look at me when you said dope fiends and crackers? (laughs) (laughs) Viking sweatshirts really (laughs) under your skin.
1: Read the room, Dave. Read the room. There you have it
8: yeah oh, so that that that's that's how that's how i I started and, and then my um my church over there Berean missionary baptist church right there mm-hmm. on the corner of Lindell and 30th um yeah you know i, I got into it I, I don't know if you remember spike moss and all those oh, guys sure, yeah. yeah i used to walk with spike moss and, and do some things with him and try to help the community that way and and then I just fell out of it because, you know, I didn't see these politicians doing anything. And, and no, we went no. about our way for a while. And then the people in the church was like, you know, Rev, you got to do something. You got to say something. And I'm sitting here going, I don't know what to do and I don't know what to say. And then I went to the Democrats, the people that I voted for, and they basically looked at me and said, are you crazy? Uh, we're not going to help you do anything. And, and that, that, that's what got me started. That's what got me back in the game because my own people that I voted for. Decided that they wasn't even going to give me a time of day. I can't even get Bobby Champion. I can't even get that man to call me back. And, and that's his really? district, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, so, you know, even when uh, the COVID hit and we was out there feeding the the community, um, I didn't get any help from the Democrats. All the help I got was from Republicans. I mean, they was really? coming out of Buffalo. They were coming out of way up in, in uh, Isantes and every place else bringing truckloads of food. That's how I felt the community. During this pandemic, that, that's, that, that, that's a true story. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't get any help. Uh, only only Democrat that has ever sat down with me is Senator Dietrich. She's the only one that gave <clears> me <throat> any any time of day at all. And I think mainly it's because I believe in the, the Second Amendment. Uh, I'm a two A fighter all day, all day. I'll fight for the right to have a firearm because it's like I tell them the places I go, you will never go. In the places that I go, they got. Right. You, you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, um, I do. Yeah, th- th- yeah, I do. They they have guns bigger than my gun. So yep, I, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be a a, a hen walking in, into a, a fox house. And um, no, that that's just <laughs> <this is>, Uh oh.
1: <laughs> what, 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 What's what, Catherine? <laughs>
8: Can't say wait.
1: <laughs> I just I was confused. <laughs> yeah, she's not a problem.
0: <laughs> I will tell you something, Reverend Tim, and this this might give you a bit of perspective. But but I'm sure you've heard about this before. As a little boy, growing up in North Minneapolis, we moved to North Minneapolis when I was five years old. A little bit, that was over on Eleventh and Fourth, right? The old St. Joe's Parish, but that was long gone by the time you had moved in there. Mm-hmm. But but. As a little boy, starting on Fourth and Plymouth, and then growing up, all the way through, moving to Thirty Third and, and Russell, you know, thirty-five oh, houses later. Oh goodness, Thirty Third and
8: Russell, man. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I got to tell you, though, Reverend Tim, that walking down Plymouth Avenue back when I was a little boy, there were delis, there were bowling alleys, there were movie theaters, there were drugstores. There were. It was a, a thriving, wonderful era, right? Um. But I will never forget this. I was seven years old at the time. We lived at uh, 914, 15th. Uh, basically, it was uh, Plymouth and Bryant because there is no, no Colfax there. It was, Bryant went right to DuPont. Yep. So uh, so we lived right there at 14th, uh, 14th and, and Bryant, just a block off of Plymouth Avenue. And my mother sent me to the store the DuPont cash market right there in the corner of DuPont and Plymouth back when I was a little boy. And I will never forget this, and I'm bringing it up because you're you. I'm standing <laughs> on the corner, and it's there's a little snow falling because it's just a few days. I might have been just the day before Christmas, actually, the Christmas Eve. And she sent me to the store to get something. And I was standing there on the corner about to, c- to cross the street, and this car pulled up, and a man dressed in a suit and a woman wearing a really snazzy snazzy dress and they had two little kids in the back seat and i i looked at them and the woman looked at me and i'll never forget this as long as i live i'm a seven-year-old boy standing on the corner right there dupont and plymouth the woman looked back at her children and said lock your doors we're in n-town (laughs) <laughs> I will never forget that, Reverend Tim. I looked out of my hand like, well, wait a second. Wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait a second. Wait. But,
3: Does but that, that include me?
0: <laughs> that was an education for me, Reverend Tim, that... that I learned that day that the skin color wasn't the biggest part of, uh, of the deal to them as it appears to most people in politics now. It was the fact that I was poor. They didn't want to be anywhere near me because I was a poor kid. That's right and, and, and it's a fact.
8: I, I'm, I'm glad you said that. I, I'm true. so glad you said that because well, see you. one of the things that I, I keep preaching and I'm, I'm going to keep preaching the same word until people start listening. People don't people people always think that there's only poor black people. That lives right, in North Minneapolis, right. sir. Right, yep. and yep. what they don't realize is this: this season, this Christmas season, we helped uh, four um, poor white families. Uh, yep. We gave with the toys that we we furnished for their kids, the clothes that we gave them, but no one ever speaks for them. They don't have a voice, right? Um, they don't. They, the, you're the, right. The poor black people have a, a voice. Just the, the black activists have a voice. Anybody that's down there that has a voice uh, can, can speak up. But who's speaking up for the poor white people that are down there?
0: God, you're. I, I love you even more now, Reverend Tim. I, that is exactly right. And nobody will believe me when I tell them. Thank you. They just I, won't believe it.
8: Sir, I, I say the same thing. I tell people all the time. I, 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 I have people on my Twitter page who gets mad at me when when I start talking about white people. And I'm not joking. They, they right. Boy, no, they, they, get, they get upset. I can talk about black people all day. I can put them down, call them names. But the minute I start talking about the poor white people, people get upset. And I'm sitting there yep. going, wait a minute. Yep. Do they not have a right to have their voices heard by somebody? Because you're not telling the story. The, 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 politi- the white politicians are not telling the story. The black mm-hmm. politicians are not telling the story. The black activists are not telling their story. Who tells their story? Nobody. Well, I'm going to start telling their story, whether people like it or not. Because somebody has to do something for them. Somebody, because what happens is, whatever the black community gets, the crumbs that falls off the table is what the poor white person gets. And that's a true story, whether people want to believe it or not. Or whether 100%. it hurt their feelings of me saying that. But I'm going to say it because there's a lot of poor white people down there that's going, hey, look at us. And I'm sitting there going, wait a minute. what? Why can't you go to go to one of these people who are always shouting, white lives matter? What? Where, where are those people? Where are the white lives matter <laughs> yeah, people exactly. to help you out? Yep. I, I don't see them anywhere around, but the minute someone says black lives matter, the White Lives Matter people show up and go, oh, well, white lives matter too. Okay, then go down there on on Knox. and I mean, go down there on Bryant and 20 th- 20, 33rd where you was talking about and go help some of them white people. I ain't seen not one white person down there doing jack for them people. But yet my foundation furnished the, the whole Christmas for a, a whole bunch of them down there. So that's why I tell people, if you're going to get me, for saying something about black people, helping black people, building black people. Mm-hmm. then get me for saying something about helping white people. I, 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 I don't see no color here. The man that raised me, my stepfather, Tom, is as white as you. He's from Boise, Idaho. And he taught me a lot about how to treat, just just basically how to treat people. Not because of their skin color, because but, but because of the way that I treat you the way you treat me. Right. You call me a dog. I'm gonna call you a dog. And I know people sit there and go, well, you're not supposed to say that type of stuff. You're a reverend. I'm a I'm a street reverend. Right. I'll take this cross off real quick. So I I, I tell people, do not get this thing crooked. Do not get it crooked. I'm a a Peter. And people don't understand when I say that Uh, this man saw this man saw Jesus do all of these miracles. But yet and still he still drew his sword and pulled and, and cut somebody's ear off right in front of Jesus. That's me. That that that's that that I'm that type of Christian. I'm still got these tendencies in inside me that'll come out every once in a while. So mm-hmm. that, that's how that worked. But no, I am I'm, I'm glad you I'm so glad you brought that up about the people who are down there that's in Proverbs, impoverished, in that that I, I look at and say, oppressed, that people never talk about.
0: No, you're absolutely right. And I've talked about it. I've done speeches for, God, I suppose 40 years now, uh, at least 35 years. And I tell people, look, there, there is a skin color deal. There's there are people that don't like you because of your skin color. There's no doubt about that. But the number one reason that you're hated is not your skin color, whether it's white, black, or whatever. It's the fact that you are poor. They hate you if you're poor. Mm-hmm. And that's a fact.
3: Mm-hmm. No,
0: that, I mean that's just an absolute fact And I'm glad that I finally met someone Who knows what the hell I'm talking about <laughs> When I say that Honestly because people go oh that's BS It's no way and by the way I just got a text message From someone who said Did that woman in the car actually say N-Town No she did not no, course, <laughs> Sounds
7: like a boy hope.
0: band Yeah N-Town yeah. Really. yeah
7: N-Town the... <laughs> so like, yeah, so. time, <laughs> time <laughs> <over
0: there>. <laughs> <laughs> Reverend Tim you got another hour I hope no, I'm, I'm, right. I'm, I'm here for as long as you need me. All right. We're going to take a very quick break, just a few minutes here. We'll be back with Reverend Tim Christopher. I am very excited to have you in studio. By the way, I am a huge fan and a friend of Joe Souchrays. I understand you talk to Joe quite often. I, <laughs> yes, I think sir. the world to him. He's a great guy. Good people. Really good guy. Good people. Very smart man, too, no doubt. <laughs> we will be back second hour. Reverend Tim Christopher in studio. This is going to be a barn burner of an episode. I'm just <laughs> telling you. We'll be back.
3: Tommy, do you guys read a lot of poetry on the queue?
0: You mean like, there once was a man from Nantucket?
3: No, more like
0: T.S. Eliot. April is the cruelest month, breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory and desire, stirring dull roots with spring rain. Dougie, what's wrong? You a little sad? No,
3: other than the weather, nothing's wrong. In fact, in the walls of world, Coon Rapids and Burnsville finish number one and two in the state of Minnesota. j finally beat Dan Resch.
0: And plus the fact, I hang out with you, so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if I'm hanging out with you. <laughs>
2: yeah, maybe. <laughs> no,
0: yeah, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant.
4: Hey, this Brian's up. Summer is finally here. And if you're like me, you've got some serious riding planned.
0: You're belting it out over there. That's me singing.
1: Mary That is you singing, okay. He's been practicing oh, very hard.
0: We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Reverend Tim in studio with us. Reverend Tim Christopher. This is going to be an interesting hour because uh, we found out that uh, people actually can get along. Who've no- I've never met Reverend Tim in person, so uh, it was funny because when Catherine said we're, we're having Reverend Tim on, and he just told me about you know all the time you spent talking to Joe Sushry and all the rest of it, and, and I said, oh, that ought to be, that ought to be great. I just... I, I love the fact that you're so honest about this. Did you grow up... Now, you said you grew up uh, with, a, with a stepfather, and your mother and your stepfather in the house. Is that, is that how you grew up?
8: Yes, yeah.
0: Okay, so how, was it both of them? Was it one of them that said, just go out and tell the truth, no matter how bad people might take it? You were told to tell the truth by somebody.
8: Yeah, my my, my father. When, um my my dad is a military man, um, oh, okay. so I grew right. I grew up on um, Marine Corps bases. And one of the things now this is nineteen. Th- think about in nineteen seventy, Memphis, Tennessee, Millington, Tennessee, down south. You got a um, white man that come in and falls in love with a with a black woman, and he's willing to take her four black kids under his wing, love her and love them. Um. Then we moved to um, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, oh, uh, sure. on, on that base there. And as long as we were on the base, everything was fine. Anytime we go off the base, that's when we would have to divide up <laughs> because we would have to ha- we would have problems with the yep. locals, you know. Because my dad, like I said, my stepdad's white, and they looking at him like, you know, hey, what are you doing with with that group there? And um, then I mean, my dad just got to the point where he's going. You know, I don't I don't care. Um, This is my family and and whatever happens, happens. So that's what he said. Just tell the truth. There's no reason for you. People there's going to be people is going to fall off. I understand that. That's no problem. And but just just tell the truth. So, okay, I get in trouble for it, but I'm good.
0: But you know how lucky you are that you were told to do that. I mean, you are—it's—it's it's painful. It's hard. There's no question about it. But you're a very lucky man. You were told to tell the truth because people will go, particularly Reverend Tim, to make money. They will lie, like mad people, to make a little money, and that disgusts me. I, I, I get disgusted by that. Money is just ugh. It's disgusting.
8: Yeah, it—it it, it really is. It, it's crazy uh, what what people will do for a dollar. And I, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm learning that. Um, especially when it when it's in politics you know especially when, when when it's in in the black community where I mean people will they, they will literally cut you uh for a dollar you know and you got you got pastors and reverends and preachers in the black community that will sell the whole community out for a dollar that's that's just that that's one of the biggest problems there is in the black community when people go Going okay. What's going on in the black community? Well, you got these here liberal Democrats that'll come in and buy a preacher, buy a whole church, mm-hmm. and he'll they'll turn that church against everybody, and that that's that's what they preach. That that's what happens.
0: Why do they do that? I don't get it. Why?
8: They can keep the vote. I mean right now Republicans yeah, are true. afraid yep, Republicans yep. are afraid to go down to North Minneapolis because of that reason because they realize that we can't go down here and, and make a difference because the Democrats come in here and buy all the votes.
0: Mm-hmm.
8: Man, that that's, that's, disgusting. It is, that's sir. disgusting. It is that's
0: disgusting. It it's, is. It's it's ugh. It's not America.
8: No, no. And and the thing that, that, that makes me mad about it is is they come in with the first thing that they'll they'll come in and say, That other group over there is racist. They don't like you. <laughs>
6: And it's true. Don't trust your neighbor. Trust us. Right. Yeah, it, exactly. That,
8: that's basically that's basically what happened. And and like I, I always tell people, people ask me, well, what are you? I said, I'm me. I, I'm, I'm a flat out. You know, if, if you want to know, I'm, I'm independent. I'll vote for anybody. I mean, my mm-hmm. the first time I ever voted, I voted for Ronald Reagan because, you know, my dad's in the military and the Republicans take care of my daddy's paycheck. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was my that was my honest first vote. And I voted Republicans for for a while there until they kind of start showing me total different side of them. And then I switched Mm -hmm. over to Democrat. And I realized the Democrats just keep lying to me. So now you know what, whomever going to help build this country, and is going to help turn things around, that's who get my vote.
0: That is so amazing. That's exactly my life story. I started out right. as a Democrat because my mother was an ardent Democrat. And then later on, uh, because of exactly what you're talking about, I tried being a Republican, didn't really care for that either. So now I'm stuck in the middle, but I like being stuck in the middle. It works for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm.
8: No, it, yeah. it works for me, too, except for, you know when I run up against my people who sit there and tell me that I'm a coon because I would Ooh. vote for a <laughs> well, Republican. You know, oh, you, you you tap dancing for them. I'm not tap dancing for anybody. God. You know, it's just like I said before. Uh, there wasn't one Democrat who stepped up and, and helped us pay gas to people who was taking the elderly from North Minneapolis to Robbinsdale to, to get their medicine, to pick their medicine mm-hmm. up. We had to pay gas money for them to do that. But we got them there. Not one Democrat came in and asked us, do we need help or anything? It, th- And that's why I'm so sour on a lot of these uh, politicians, because I I saw it firsthand. I I, I saw it in real time, what a politician will do and what a politician won't do. I saw it in real time.
0: You know, it's so funny about that, Reverend Tim, is the fact that I've been approached by by United States senators, by governors, by every every level. Um, And most of not all of them. But most of them, I'd say 95% of them, will come and want to meet me and sit down and talk to me and ask me if I would endorse them. And if I like them, I endorse them. And then I never heard from them again. It's disgusting what those people do. It's flat-out disgusting.
8: No, definitely. I put together a whole roundtable. See, what people don't realize is you know, people always say, you're just a big mouth. You're just running around with a big mouth, right? (laughs) Me too. and right <laughs> but what people don't realize is what I have done behind the scenes. I put together a table for uh, senators, Republican senators and, Rep- and, and Republican house members put it put it together invited them to the church, had them sit down to listen to the people I've worked with many many if I started naming a lot of the Republican lawmakers that I've, I've worked with I've talked mm-hmm. to, I've went to and, and tried to make uh, uh, some type of, of, of concession to to get them to understand, to get them to listen to what's going on in the community. Uh, you would be shocked. I, I just had a meeting with um, Tony Albright uh, out of mm-hmm. uh, Pryor Lake. You know, we sat down and was talking about that video that came out of that that, that one little girl being overly, overtly racist. Um, we, we sat down and talked about that. Behind the scenes, I do a lot, and I, I work with a lot of people, and I deal with a lot of people. Everybody got mad at, at Scott Jensen because Scott, Scott Jensen started talking about the black community. Well, what do you think he got that from? Yeah. You, you think he did that on his own? <laughs> you, you, do you really think these Republicans are finally talking about the black community by themselves? I mean, think about it. They, they're getting mm-hmm. it from somewhere, right? Right. Okay, I'm just saying.
0: No, you're absolutely right about that. I, I just, do you, you must get some pretty solid support though in North Minneapolis from people. I mean, you're out there on your own uh, a lot, no question, and you stand there like a man. You learn that from your family, but there's got to be a lot of people supporting you as well, aren't there?
8: Yeah, you know, I work with other organizations, um, you oh, know, okay. like a mother's love. I don't know if you guys ever heard yeah, her. Yep, Le- well, absolutely. I, I, well yep. her and I, we do a lot. And that's what people don't. Like I said, I don't put out everything that we do. Um, but uh, I, I work with very, very close with Lisa, with Lisa Clemens, with the mother love. Um, yep, a lot yep. of those like those. I, I'll give you a perfect example. Um, those babies that were shot, the three babies that were shot.
9: Yeah,
8: um, was at the at the hospital, uh, praying with the with the family, and my organization's um, Shepherds Works uh, made sure that those families had enough money to be able to sit in that hospital where they can order Uber and they don't ever have to leave that hospital to leave their baby. That that's what my organization did. Um, the, the The kid who just got shot was shot a while back here, um, that was trying to stop the carjacker. They shot. And right. He got shot yeah. and died. My wife, yep. my wife sat with that mother for I don't oh, know how long. God. And they just hugged each other forever. I didn't think they ever was going to let each other go. We went and, and made a concession to that family also. So there's a lot of things that I do in the community and a lot of people that I work with in the community. I just don't put it all out there. I'm working with a young mm. man right now that we're, we're trying to put together classes so we can teach some of these young black women what a scraw purchase is. A lot of these guns that are on the streets right now, These boneheads decide to get their girlfriend to buy these guns and give it to them, and then they go commit a crime, and then she catches a case for it. So what we're doing right now, (laughs) yeah, that that's exactly what happens, Tom. So what we're what I'm doing right now is I'm putting together. I've got two young men that I'm working with. One that I'm I'm paying out of my pocket to get him to be a certified gun instructor. So once he's an instructor, he's going to work with, with another young man that I've got who's doing, going to be putting these classes together. And we're going to get these young women, black women, into the uh, building that if uh, the, the mayor would, would finally open the door and talk to me, which he's afraid of me. But anyway, we'll get into that in a second. If I love it. If he can open the door and give me a building so I can start teaching these young women what a scrawl purchase is so they're not out here buying guns for their boyfriend fresh out of prison and then he's going to oh, go yeah. shoot somebody. See, people don't – there's a lot of things, Tom, that I do that people don't realize yeah. what I do. I, I'll just put it that way. But
0: I, I – I, the amazing thing to me is, and I, I suppose love is love or whatever, but how the women get talked into it in the first place, I do not understand. Uh, is part of it because they want to believe they understand and they really don't? And then well, I better go get him this gun. Hey, he has to know how, how, what I think of him. He has to know that I really, really like him a lot or love him or whatever it is. Uh, do they talk themselves into this? What happens there?
8: No, um, what they think is just a gift. Is is like. Going oh, out and okay. buying a golf club for you know if my my, my oh, boyfriend okay. wants a golf club right if Catherine want to buy you a golf club she go buy you a golf club give you a golf give you give you a golf club or if she's smart she'll get you a Packers sweatshirt but that's, <laughs> that's a decor. oh salt in the
1: wound <laughs> right right
8: so that's pretty much what it is they don't they don't realize Tom what what. What the revocations are, if they go and they buy these firearms for these guys and they get they don't know that a felon should not ha- is not allowed. The, the thing about the black community is we're so far behind when it comes to guns, guns right, guns laws that nobody really know. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to bring the black community up to speed when it comes to gun laws, what you can and cannot do. I had to stop a group of kids, a group of guys walking around calling themselves, you know, being protectors of the people who are marching. i go check their firearms. Every single one, of everything they was doing down there was a violation. So I had oh, to turn God. all of that stuff around and <laughs> teach them exactly what you can and cannot do when you're carrying your firearm. Right. You know, right. It, it was like when I put together, because I put together a, a group of guys when the rioting first broke out. And they was talking about, you know, white supremacists was coming in the neighborhood and they're breaking this and breaking that. I put together a group of six guys. We walked the streets of Minneapolis for two nights. Two nights. And one of the things that I said that I only want people with me who are licensed, who has insurance. Half of the the, the black people who are running around there, they ain't licensed. They ain't got no right. insurance. Right. So I've got to teach them how important it is for them to be licensed. For them to have insurance, you you can't just walk around with a gun just to be walking around because it's cool. That's not what this is about.
0: Right. Yeah, there's no question about it. Reverend Tim, I need you to explain something to my wife, my son, and my daughter. My, the son and daughter are there. My wife is there next to me. That I, I do think they understand, but... A lot of people don't. When I'm walking along, like, like let's say the four of us would be walking along when they were little kids, and and you know some people to be coming the other way, they would notice that I'd get very rigid, and I would literally lean my head back, and, and they kind of looked at me like, "What's the matter? What what's wrong here?" And I didn't even know this at the time, Reverend Tim, that that I because I grew up where I grew up, that whole thing was kind of me standing at my front door going, you're not getting in this house. It ain't going to happen, so don't even try coming in here. And when I'm walking down the street, it's with my family, that's my house too, and you are not going to bother my family. It's not going to happen. I mean, you could explain that to them, I would think, can't you?
8: Oh, sure. I, no, hey, don't get me wrong. It's not just you, Tom. Don't, don't look at it in no, a no. way. No, I know. You know, I do the same thing, sir. I yep. mean, when when I'm, my, when I'm with my wife and my grandson... And, and I'm walking in certain parts of like when when i go get my I, yep. I, I go out to the parking lot of the church just to to get my wife and my grandson out of the car i am feeling the same way dude you if you you can mess with me all you want you know i yep. take a, yep. but if you ever think about putting your hands on my wife or my grandson <laughs> That will be the last time, and I know. And, I, and let let me say this here because it's I true. always get accused of talking about. You know, I'm, I'm a preacher. Everybody love to throw that in my face. Oh, you're a man of faith. You're a man of God. Let, let, let me let me let me make sure. I, I say this again. I'm not right. promoting violence.
0: No, 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 not at but all. But
8: let's let's make. We also understand this here. If you don't want this, don't come mess with this. That's all I gotta say about that. Just leave me alone. I I don't bother people. I I don't bother people unless you come to me and say, I need your help or I need something from you. You know? I don't bother you. I don't walk up to you and go, hey, I want trouble. You look like you're a trouble youth and and you want to carjack me. Here, can you can you come (laughs) carjack me? I don't bother nobody, my friend. You know, right. But I'm like you. If I'm walking down the street and I got my family with me. And all of a sudden, I see some people that I go, hmm, coming at right. me? Yeah, Absolutely. Right? I'm, I'm, yep. I'm, I'm, now it's t- it's time for me to be, I- I've got to be the guardian because they are important to me. So I understand that that's all it is. It had nothing to do with color. it, it nope. if you, just nope. like you said, because you come from that era, Tom, come from that area, you know what it feels like when you get mm-hmm. around somebody that's not right. Correct?
0: Uh, there's no... Um, Catherine once at a, at a party many, many years ago, she said, here's my impression of Tom when he suspects that somebody's going to mess with his family. First of all, he stands straight up. He stand, instead of being kind of bent over walking, you stand straight up. You lean your shoulders back. You lean your head forward, <laughs> and if you're really angry and about to go after somebody, you start bobbing your head.
8: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that Richard Pryor, you know, remember Richard Pryor was doing that? And, 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 and... <laughs> that's
9: right, that's right.
0: Is that
1: really? You, no, you, you forgot about the hackles the hackles. Oh, the hackles. Yeah, yeah. yeah, tell them about the hackles. Yeah, the What's hair that? on the back of your, your neck will actually oh, stand up. Oh, yeah.
7: So what you're if saying you're really is basically a silverback gorilla. <laughs> yeah. I can't yes, even deny it. Yes, I would say that's about
1: <laughs> it. <laughs>
6: yeah. yep. well, you could grab a tree very, and
1: shake it real hard, he would.
6: They're actually yeah, very exactly. peaceful. So you know they don't want to get in fights; they'll just fight back. So no, but they stand it, up. It is a perfect analogy.
1: Out, yeah. So <laughs>
8: <Yeah>. <laughs> understood. Well, then I'm then put me down as one of them too. I'm a silverback gorilla because I, I tell <laughs> you, you and me, are
0: right? related. There yeah, you go. Yeah,
8: mean, like I said, mess with me all you want. I I, I don't care. Yeah, but Yeah. But God gave me them two for a reason, and He gave them to me for me. I mean, we are built as men. Think about it for a second. As men, we are built to protect what God gave us. We, 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 were, yep. we were made yep. for this. He literally made, not only that, but he had us practice it before he gave you Catherine. He had to practice it before he gave you your kids. So you better be good at what God gave you to do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's absolute true. God, it's so nice to talk to someone who, who understands. And I, look, everybody in that room with you are very, very good friends. I, I Family members, I love them dearly. But but to actually talk to someone who knows exactly what I'm gonna say before I even say it. <laughs> right. I, I like that a lot, Reverend. I
5: really do.
8: No, like I said, I, I, I appreciate I appreciate this this time that you guys have, have definitely oh, given God, me. Yeah. And like I said, Catherine <clears throat> and I, we've followed each other and bounced off one another, you know. <laughs> and I finally just started just I just say, you know what? I'm just gonna ask. If she says no, she says no. That that's fine. I can keep moving on, no big deal, you know. Uh, I've, I've been listening to you for years, and and I Thank just caught. Thank you. When I got back on Twitter, because my son actually did this whole thing. I had zero clue. I was over on Facebook just doing my own thing, and my son. And then after that video, I did. Uh, at the house went viral my son's like we got to get you on twitter i'm sitting there going, what's a twitter i didn't even know what a tweet was i didn't know <laughs> what any of that stuff was i, I had zero clue i was out still off in my own space and then yeah and i jumped on here and then i found your old i and uh I, I was listening to listening to those too so i'm a fan man just just know that i am well, i am a fan
0: Well, you got a fan now, I'll tell you that, just sitting here talking. Like I said, there are not that many people like us out in the world that (laughs) know what that's like. Uh, Like, I don't know what it's like to live on the south side of Chicago. I don't know what that's like at all. I do know what it's like to live in North Minneapolis, though. Mm -hmm. And now I just met a man who knows exactly what I'm talking about. I, I love that stuff. I really do. And you know, in 1967, 68, when they burned Plymouth Avenue to the ground, how sad that made me. It made me extremely, I loved Plymouth Avenue as a kid going up and down Saul's, Superettes. and I mean, my father worked at, uh, at the corner of Fifth and, and, uh, and Plymouth at, at a printing press company. I mean, that, that was our neighborhood. St. Joseph's Parish, then St. Anne's up there on 26th and Queen when we moved up into that area. I was a nice little Catholic boy. Tried to do my best. Just leave me alone. Don't come (laughs) around bothering me. Do not bother my mother. You know, my father was gone. He was institutionalized when I was a kid. (laughs) So it was, you know, protecting my mother. Although... I don't know that I could have protected my mother. She could probably whip my ass anyway. <laughs> so you know, it was one of those deals. But it's just nice to have a conversation with someone. You know exactly what I'm talking about.
8: Right. Right. I mean, you. You're, like you. Like I said, you. You was over there, so you. You understand yep. that whole thing when I tell people that when I when someone comes up to me asking me for help or someone just comes up to me being nosy wanting to know what am I doing. I've got to be able to pick up on that, pick up on their vibe that sure. quick, so you understand what I'm saying when I say that. I that, that absolutely, you, 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 you got to know what's going on. You you, you, you got to know when to turn into that silverback and when not to turn into that <laughs> silverback. <laughs> that's, that, that, exactly that's pretty much what it comes knows. down to. And 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 you can't be. And the thing about it is, you can't be wrong. You you got to be right, right these days. No, you right. Uh, the way things going. And, and you you know you was talking about your your, your mom. I'm the same way with my mom. My mom my mom is like 5'4", little bitty woman. But mm-hmm. she she's hell on wheels, man. I, I tell you, my mom <laughs> ruled the house. Love she it. literally ruled it. My, my father's a drill sergeant. And people would always say, you know, wow, your dad is this and your dad. I wasn't afraid of my dad. My dad was, my <laughs> right. dad, if you knew my dad, my dad is a cuddly bear. Now, my Whoa. mom had no problem <laughs> in whatever she had in her hand. You can hear it coming. When she told you to do something and you didn't do it. No, no. Irma Irma Hodges had no problem with putting a a foot up your butt. And she would do it really, really quick. And that's what the problem is today. You know, some of these kids, Tom, today, their parents are afraid of them. Mm -hmm. I would never in my life ever even think about Saying some of the things to my mom that oh, I hear no. some of these kids say because she would knock me out. I would be waking up two weeks later and she'd be like, Do it again. I'd be like, Well, aren't you going to welcome me back? She goes, No, do it again.
7: I know exactly right? what you're
0: talking
7: about. Yeah. Boy, you I wish take we could a go quick back to those days. Right. right. Yeah. We yeah. Need yeah to be back. Get your ass kicked.
8: I said, we, we need some Irma jeans out in the world. And the
9: problem
7: is
8: we don't have enough Irma jeans because you got you you know, these kids got these one eight hundred numbers. It's like I tell my boys, look, I'm the champion in this house. And anytime Ooh. you want to take this belt, let me know. Cause we can move some furniture. I have no problem. My boys know it. I I I don't I don't play. I didn't have time. I had Love zero it. time. I'm working two, three jobs trying to make a living, and then you're going to be out in the streets acting a fool? No, we we, we didn't play that in my house. Nope. We, we did nope. not play that. Look, here's the deal. My wife and I have been married now for 33 years. and oh, and And, and, and it, it has not been easy. There was times we rolled pennies. And you remember, when back in the day, you had to put 50 cents in this little bitty sleeve, right, to turn it into the bank 50, mm-hmm. with penny, 50 pennies in this little sleeve
4: to turn that into
8: the bank. We rolled pennies on many nights, man, just to eat. And you think I'm going to be out here busting my butt and my kids are going to be out here carjacking, assaulting people, beating up the elderly and all this here, and I'm going to sit back and let it happen? I will knock them boys to Mars and then go get them from there (laughs) and knock them back to Earth. (laughs)
0: I love it. We'll take a very quick break and be back in about two, three minutes. One more segment with uh, the Reverend. God, how great it is having you in studio, no doubt about it. I'm glad, Dave. I'm glad you're here today, too. Absolutely. (laughs) We shall be right back. Tom here for Shift Real Estate. Last year, about this time when we were making plans for Key West, I met the folks from Shift Real Estate. And when I heard the Shift story, it made sense to me. Weightwellbeing.com or call or text them at nine five two four nine one six five two seven and catch the continuum team on my podcast on Thursdays, eleven fifteen AM. I've learned so much from them, and I know you will too. Continuum Weight and Wellbeing Life Beyond Weight Loss Mode. music. I was like, I don't want to listen Did to the know, music.
1: I was distracted by something shiny.
0: Yes, I was distracted by something shiny. That's the dulcet exactly tones of Rick Lindy. That's it. Rick Lindy. Uh, so like, we have a
6: question from a listener. Uh, they want to hear about your church. Ooh, love it.
8: Oh, okay. Berea Missionary Baptist Church. Um, we're, we are under uh, Pastor Charles Ford. Uh, we're right there on Lindell and 30th. Uh, In North Minneapolis there. I've been there since 1996. I've been in and out of church. You know, I went to church and uh, a broken man. And um, can't sit here and say that it worked the first time. Can't sit here and say it worked the second time. (laughs) <laughs> I'm definitely not going to say it worked a third time, but it got me somewhere.
9: <laughs> somewhere in there. Actually, it's still, you know. It,
8: it <laughs> <laughs> it's still working on me, too. Still working on oh, yeah. me. Oh, but, yeah. But uh, oh, we, yeah. we start at 11 o'clock. Matter of fact, this coming up Sunday, Saturday, uh, at 3 o'clock is start our countdown. My pastor is stepping down. So we, we're going to be having a, a um, ceremony for him on Saturday. Okay. And then Sunday will be the associate preachers, which is us. We're going to be preaching uh, Sunday at um, at eleven o'clock. So if you want to hear me preach this Sunday, and but I'll I will be I'll be in the pulpit uh, by myself on the fourth Sunday. I preach the fourth Sunday of this month. So if you want to hear some preaching, uh, I'm also going to get back to doing my uh, on Twitter. Uh, I have a little um, Sunday morning, 30 minute um, giving the word on that. I got to get back to that. But my my pastor, it has um, dementia. And so we all had to come together to to help him because he saved a lot of people in the church. And so I I cut Sundays off because I'm usually on Sunday mornings from, from 9.30 to 10.30. So I had to cut yeah. that off to be able to go in to help do some of the things to to get the church ready uh, that he can't do anymore. But I'm going to get back to that. But as far as my church go, it's Beren Missionary Baptist Church. It's on Lindell and 30th. Um, our service starts at 11 o'clock. And, and you come into, uh, don't, don't forget, you come into a black church. So we, we're in church for a minute we'll be we'll be in there from usually from 11 to probably about 1:30. Uh, so, you, okay. So just 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 letting you know, don't don't come here and think you're going to be there for 15 minutes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is not one of those deals. It's huh?
8: not one <laughs> of them deals. We are there for a little bit.
0: There's another church down just south of Plymouth Avenue on Logan has a, a female minister and I go uh, I went to that church a couple of times. Had a really really nice time just sitting in there. Uh, I witnessed something in that thing. It was it was hard, too. They went out and got homeless people off the streets in downtown Minneapolis and brought them to the church so they could, after the service, they could feed them, you know, have a lunch, right? And it's a black church. I, I was one of, I think, well, other than the cup the homeless people, I was, I was the only white guy who wasn't homeless, to tell you <laughs> the truth, in the church that day. Right. Uh, but I'm sitting there watching this whole thing. And there was one guy, really, you could just tell, the guy was drug-addled and a big drinker, and he, just, he, he was just a damaged human being. You could just tell by looking in his eyes and all the rest of it. And they offered communion, and I will never forget the minister. She went and got him because he didn't want to do it. He was embarrassed, and he didn't want to go up in front of the crowd. He, just was, he was afraid, Absolutely. And she went up and put her arm around his shoulders, took him up out of his chair, and walked him up to the altar. He started bawling, man. I'm tearing up. It was tough. Reverend Tim, that was a hard thing. <laughs> and it's exactly what you're talking about.
8: Yeah, I've, I've had I've had a few of those moments when uh, I'm, I'm out on the streets and I'm talking to someone and they're telling me about their life and things like that, and they just break down and, and, mm-hmm. and start crying. And that that that's one of the things that I always tell people when – you know, when they're talking about, you know, we need to this and we need to that. And I always right. say you, you got to be there to experience someone coming out of, of of a bad situation. You know, it's like when we my foundation, which is ShepherdsWorksMN.org. Uh, what we do, Tom, is we go out uh, and we feed people. Uh, we give them care bags. I mean, that that's what my wife and I did for uh, Christmas Eve. That's how we spent Christmas Eve, out, Whoa, that's uh, giving giving out the care bags uh, to the homeless people um, all Christmas Eve during our deliveries. But, no, I understand what you're saying. It, it, it is hard. And I've, I've gotten to the point now where I, I don't suppress that. But I know right. that that God has made me strong enough to be able to listen to other people's cares and worries and their hurts and their pains and to be able to soak that in to be able to give them an answer to something The the, the hardest thing that I ever had to 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 do uh, is when there was a young kid that was shot right there on Knox. He was on the phone with his mother and mm-hmm. during a drive by he was shot in the head before he even hit the ground. He was dead. So that family, uh, we took that family in and took care of their whole Christmas. This was two year, a year ago, last year. But the grandmother, when we was over there talking to the mom and the family and, and everybody was crying and we were all crying, the grandmother said something to me that stuck with me. She goes, I don't think anybody knows what it feels to feel gutted. And yeah. she was saying that about her kid, who her grandson, who right before Christmas will never walk through the door? That that's what made me start saying Tom that I don't care what anybody says anymore. You can call me what you want. You can put me down. You can get on Twitter and and, t- and tell people I'm this and I'm that. But until you've walked in my shoes and felt what that grandma felt like, and and, yep. and don't 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 even try me. That, that's why I say I'll take the cross off real quick, and well, we, we 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 can go at it.
1: That's one of the things I, I, I love about your Twitter page is because you call out politicians. It's like, what about these kids? Why yeah. isn't anyone talking about these kids? Why is no one here helping this community?
8: All right. You know, the, the Democrats don't want to do it because they think they got the vote all wrapped up. The Republicans yes. don't yes. want to do it because they, they sit there and go, well, why should we do it? We all live out in the suburbs. Well, all of a sudden, uh, all, all this crime. Now, if you go back, if you ever watch the video that I did uh, three years ago, when I warned some of these here Republicans out here in La La Land that it was coming out to see them, the, I, I'd already told them it was coming out there because they was using the, the, the trains now. The trains are being right. used mm-hmm. to deliver drugs. And, and if yep. y'all don't know that, you about to be ready for a serious, serious situation. Because like I said, they're not building the, these these care facilities in North Minneapolis. They're building them all out, all, all out here. So, so these drug addicts can go, go to these, these, these places out here for a reason. So people need to st- just, just to wake up for five seconds and stop going, well, the crime's not here. I don't have nothing to worry about it. And I've called out these here uh, Republicans because, you know what, their voices are needed. People are saying, well, they don't have they, There's nothing they can do. Yeah, there's a lot of they can do. There's a lot they can do. Exactly what they're doing now, because the crime is at your doorstep. They should have been doing that a long time ago, but they waited until the crime got to the doorstep. I called out Melissa Melissa Hortman uh, in Coon Rapids two years ago when she was running around lying to a group of elderly white people saying crime the crime rate is down. The crime rate. Oh, she lied. Man. I called her out in her town hall meeting. Period went to the town hall meeting and let let everybody in the, in the, in, the, in the room know she's lying to
3: you
6: period well if that they don't record the crime then the crime rate goes down right so thank you very <laughs> he, he, boom bingo there you go yeah. i've been paying a lot of attention to what's been going on uh i just had a son t- 3 months 2, Two months ago months. <laughs> So, two months tomorrow. I can't two months even months remember. Daddy oh, yeah.
0: yeah. of the
1: Italy, year. Newborns especially your second one. I don't know. I feel like your first one, especially as a mom, you're like, he's three weeks and two days and four hours <laughs> old. And then the second one,
6: I'm like, I don't know, around six some, months. Some I don't remember. <laughs> so yeah, It's like, you know, we started, we're starting a family We're basically built, we bought our first real house recently. We had one before that, but then we ended up moving out of that, but. Yeah, I've been paying a lot of attention to what's been going on in the state and how policies are affecting things Mm -hmm. and the things that people are saying, like, you know, there is no crime, there there are Mm -hmm. no issues, that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. And if you look at the official statistics, that's what it shows. It shows that everything's way down, but that is because it's showing arrests, convictions, that kind of thing, which they just don't do anymore. That's right. So what you have to look at is homicides, because they can't Bury those. No, you know, a homicide's hurt. a homicide. <laughs> homicides going up—that's a good indicator that all crime is going up. Wow. That,
8: that's how they. That's how they. That's how they run it. You know, uh, Choi don't want to do his job, uh, so he decides that you know I, I don't care. You carjacker, go ahead and jack a car. And what we're going to do is we'll just let you go because yep. you know yeah. no one right. got hurt, right? Yeah. So that teaches these kids. God. Hey, look at this. I. I got away for it. free. Yeah. No you know, repercussions, right? Exactly. Yeah. Just like what you was talking about. You know about what though? Air. It's
7: it's it's become this strange dichotomy that it's you want to address the crime, but there's this volatility now in law enforcement and with both the black and white and Asian communities that how do you re- how do you react and put the fear of God into a criminal so that they don't do these type of things, but then not create new havoc you know we were talking during the break reverend that you know there's not enough accountability anymore nobody's held to the fire for doing stupid things and truthfully the police and this is no slam on them they aren't trained properly on how to deal with the they're not social workers that's right right they're they're law enforcement and then they are you know uh, they're not trained properly to do a lot of what needs to be done in delicate situations Mm -hmm. and dealing with uh, environments they're not familiar with. And it gets in, I I can see from both sides, it's gotta be a really hard dynamic because you want to crack down, you want to make places safer, you want to make things better, but you also don't want to incite more problems or give perceptions that a certain race or um, uh, social economic group might be, behind a lot of the crime that's going on in those areas well it's easier to sweep it under the carpet right and then just try to deal with it on the face value that's right you know
8: that's right but you know right now i mean i I, I don't mind i don't mind calling it what it is Mm -hmm. there's a lot of black youth that are out there causing trouble let let, 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 let's let's call it what it is i i I don't mince my words and if the black community want to come at me bring it on but prove me wrong (laughs) That, that, what I'm saying is pro- prove me wrong in what I'm saying but then I can say that because I'm out in the streets right. trying to help
9: mm-hmm.
8: what's going on and trying to make amends to some of the people for some of the people who have been um, beat up or hurt by some of these here uh, I, I, I'm, I'm looking for the the elderly woman that was knocked down by the young by, by the little the young criminal who who hurt her. To, to be able to, to sit down with her, to pray with her, to 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 see what I can do to help her get through this, mm-hmm. you know. So it's not just the, the victims or, or the, the people who are causing this. We're out to help make better what's going on out here today. And at the end of the day, when we look at it right now in the black community, it is the 18 and down young black males who are out here. Doing things that they know is wrong. They realize it's wrong. And here's another thing. There are parents who know their kids are out here doing this. Because if the school know that he's a bad kid, if the police know he's a bad kid, if the neighborhood grocery store owner knows he's a bad kid, if the neighbor knows he's a bad kid, then what I ask these parents to do when I talk to them, it's come to us. Let us let us do something to help you with this kid. Let let us get it into some type of program to help him out. Bring him to me, and let me see what I can do for. Him. I just I just got a. If you go on my web on our webpage, you will see a gang member. He was a gang member. We got him out of the game, put him in a suit, got him into a, a, a schooling, and one of uh, what I call. Everybody who follows me, I call them fam. One of the guys who follows me was, is owns a plumbing shop, is a plumber. This kid now works for him. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. That's what I do.
1: That's fabulous. You understand what
8: I'm saying? I do. I, I, I'm here to try to make sure that every kid gets some type of opportunity just like I got. I, I, I love my house. I love my fence. I love my dog. I love my wife. I love my yard. I love cutting my grass. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I, I go out and, 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 yeah. and, and love the things that I built on my own. I didn't ask anybody for help. And that is another thing that I try to get these young kids to understand. Yeah, these people are going to teach you to be a victim because they want you to vote for them. But you're not a victim. And what people – another thing people don't understand is black people are a conservative group of people. We really oh, absolutely. are. Right?
0: absolutely.
8: Right, Tom? Absolutely. Look at what we did to, to places like oh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, right? Yep. Until a bunch yep. of thugs came in and broke that down. Look at what we did to Redwood, Florida. Go, go look at what we did to Wilmington, North Carolina to all of those places that we built on our own without any help from anybody. But yet you get the Democrats who sit there and go, well, we let them go. Uh, They can go vote for somebody else, and we don't get to vote. So let's keep feeding them with these programs. I wish somebody would go to Mayor Fry and say, add up every dime that that has been given to North Minneapolis. I want to know. I want to see it on the sheet. He couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. They pumped so much money into that community, and look at what's happened. It's a dump down there. Let's call it what it is, man.
7: Yeah. Because, yeah. it well, like the Bible, you're not teaching the people to fish. You're just giving them the fish. Mm-hmm. There's no exactly. dynamic. And, you know, to address the one case, it's not just a black thing or or a, a racially <laughs> cited thing. Kids in general, and I don't mean to sound like the old man shaking his fist on the porch with you, right? <laughs> but it, it, kids in general from 19 down— yeah are just dicks nowadays. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is no responsibility. There is no respect. He can say that. I can't. No, he I'm saying it, But uh, thank you. Across the board. There is there, the level, yeah. and, and we have been swept out as parents, uh, and we're told, oh, no, you're still, no, you're not allowed to effectively punish children because if you send them to bed without dinner and they complain at school, you've got DCFS knocking you. on your door. If you oh raise God. a hand to your child, not to beat them, but to give them a good swat on the ass to get their attention and say this is not acceptable, you've got DCFS. And that's that's affecting parents across mm-hmm. the board. We're ineffectual in the way that we're able to do it. Uh, and and I hate the pinning of a victimization, but even parents now are victims of their own children because the kids are told if you have a problem at home, just come tell us at school and yeah. without we'll getting any kind of yeah. deal. Yeah. And the only one good thing I did see was in Brooklyn or in um, uh, Egan, uh, my daughter got mouthy one day. And she didn't like that I wasn't going to let her out of her bedroom. So she called the police on me. Oh And my I went God. into the garage and I'm sweeping to calm down. And my other two kids are sitting in the garage on the stair watching. Mm-hmm. They could see oh. the lava bubbling. The cop pulls up and he, he comes walking up to me and he goes, uh, we got a report that, uh, I won't say which daughter, but that a young girl called here that you're keeping her trapped in her room. And I said, oh, yes, I am. And he goes, why? And I said, because I told her to clean and she can't leave before he, before she does. And he goes, are you kidding me? And I said, no. And he looked at my other two kids. He goes, is that what happened? And they both nodded. And he goes, let me talk to her. No, my son skitters into his room so he can listen through yeah. the door and the cop basically said let me get this straight there are people being shot murdered hit and right. all kinds of problems yeah and you didn't want to clean your goddamn room <laughs> yeah. and, and you called the police and he said i will bring you in next time thank you and, and that was great because it, that was the first time And she's like, well, he's not allowed to hit me. He goes, he's your father. He should spank your ass. This is not the way to act. And I thought, this is great. This is something that gave her a little glint of the real world. But, man, I honestly believe, Reverend, that the generation right now that's even Uh, I would go 21 and lower is in for a massive culture shock when they get in the real world and realize they can't talk to bosses, coworkers, or anybody the way that they do to their own family. I dig you. When there's no respect for your family, how can you respect yourself or other people? I dig I, you. I, dig I you remember one
1: it. time, I think Andy threatened me with calling the cops because I was making him do something he <laughs> didn't want to do. I think it was Andy. And I'm like, go ahead and call the cops. I'd love to go to jail and get a rest around here.
6: <laughs> get a little sleep.
1: That is one thing. Is little everyone little
6: thinks it's like if you're mildly inconvenienced, the first thing you do is call the cops. And I don't yeah, know where that came true. from. Yeah. It's very strange. Protect and serve. That's what, yeah. you know. Yeah. I know, but it's like I don't know. The cops aren't there to make sure your dad is nice to you because you don't <laughs> want to clean your room. But she got that idea somewhere that that's what you do is you call the yeah. cops because you know someone's being slightly mean to you. It's like I don't know.
7: Well, Reverend Tim, I love the fact that you you said that you know, you like your yard, you like your fence, you like your family. My dad took me out in the front yard when one of our neighbor's houses got toilet papered and egged. And he looked at it and he pointed and he said, who did that? And I said, I don't know. And he goes, I'll tell you who did that. Whoever did that was paying somebody that lives in that house back for something they did to them. And he goes, that's not your buddy's house. That's your Buddy's parents' house, and he goes. Now look at our yard. We get toilet papered. We get egged. I'm going to kick your ass because that means you (laughs) pissed somebody off. (laughs) And and man, our house got toilet papered once. I was up at the crack of dawn cleaning it before my dad woke up. (laughs) And I hadn't done it. It was unprovoked because kids are just kids, right? But but I got his gist. This is about respect, and we all need to come together and just learn respect across the board. People want that leg up, no matter what race sexual uh, proclivity whatever they want to leg up start showing respect to each other that's how you get the leg up not needing a yep. handout not needing somebody yep. to lift you but you lift yourself by just being respectful to you yourself and the people that you're around and that's where it starts and and when you don't have that self-respect there's no way this we're going to turn this thing around
8: there you
7: go and I'm glad that there are people like you out there preaching this teaching and giving people the skills to to climb up instead of just, yeah, you are a poor, miserable son of a bitch. That sucks. Oh, man, we should get some help for you this way instead of teaching them how to help themselves, getting them into the suit, getting them into the job and showing them this is what it feels like to be accomplished. That's amazing. And yes. I applaud your efforts and work in that.
8: No, I got a lot to nope. make up for. Y'all think, you know, the, the person who's sitting here was like this here from day one. Uh, that's just not true. I mean, I was a broken person. Fool. I mean, I did things that that my wife should have walked out the door on me, um, that the church should have booted me to the curb, that my friends shouldn't have even been around me. But, you know, there comes a time in everybody's life that especially when you are as down as I was, I mean, when the devil is telling you to get away from him, then, you know, you, you're you wrong because I was trying to out devil the devil. You know, at the at
7: the hey, end Tim, of the day, back off, man! Exactly. You're freaking me out.
8: And he wouldn't even answer my calls anymore. He told me, hey, "You
6: need to go see God, dude." So
8: <laughs> you and I, we get can't out hang out, right? Right? You you get me in trouble.
6: Is oh, it like the drug dealer telling you to come clean? Exactly. It, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, look, I, I,
8: I've got you know. I, I just look at it that way, man. I, I've got a lot to make up for, and I'm not leaving here without making some type of uh, of of right. To the wrongs that I have done. Um, It took a lot for my wife and for my my pastor to get me to where I'm at today. And I I owe it to my wife. I mean, she stuck in there when things were just... I mean, any other woman would have left. But, man, she just said, you know what? I said, better for worse, I'm going to stick this thing out with you. I'm going to fight through this with you. You know, whether you're driving drunk, and uh, I should have had Hutch driving, but anyway.
2: (laughs) Oh! Whether,
8: whether, whether you're driving drunk or whether you know you're, you're you're high on something or you're doing this or doing that, she, I mean, this woman, she's just amazing, you know. And if it wasn't for her and if it wasn't for my pastor you wouldn't see this person sitting next to you talking the way that I talk because yeah. you know yeah. and I and, and and the thing about it is I had kids at the time, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh when I was going through the things that I was going through. And it was just like my my, my biological father. My biological father died before he was forty because he was an alcoholic. And um, um, and I was just turning into him. I was rude. I was mean. I didn't care about things at certain times. You know, um, you get into that funk where you just can't bring yourself up, you know, and you just hate things and you don't want to go to work. You don't want to get out of bed. You're losing jobs. You're losing money, you know. But, man, she just stuck with me. And... Because of that, I I realize that I've got to be a good person for somebody else because she was a good person and my my pastor was a good person to me. So, I'm gonna help as many people as I can, and I'm gonna say whatever I want to say if it's right. You know, if it's wrong, I keep my mouth shut. But if, but I'm I'm not gonna say I've been right. But prove me wrong. That's all. I, that's what I say to people. But just prove yep. me wrong. You
0: know. You know you're never getting rid of us now. Oh. Reverend, it ain't going to happen. You're never getting rid of us now. You're going to have to be coming back. Let me close with this because I've been thinking about this the whole time you guys have been talking. That church I was talking about down on Logan and just south of Plymouth Avenue. After that service was over and all the homeless people were fed and all the rest of it, I left. Now, you have to understand something. I didn't give these people at this church anything. I didn't bring a bunch of money over. Or I didn't do this. I didn't. I just went over and watched the service because I was invited to do it. And when I left, there were 10 people who worked at that church. Um, And they were all standing by the front door. And as I left, all 10 of them gave me a hug and said, we just appreciate the fact that you came and supported us. Mm -hmm. That's how I want to close this. People got to stop with this. We all hate one another. And everybody, oh, my God, it's just horrible. We do not all hate one another. These people were about nothing but love, and it was wonderful.
8: All right, well that's awesome well i, I like, again i i appreciate you guys having me you know um i joe joe calls me up whenever he he, he has something that he needs to get out there um mm-hmm. lo- love those guys that that's over on that side so oh, yeah. i'll oh, open yeah. that door to you too man if, all right you you're know? never
0: you're gonna get sick of us now. <laughs> you're, gonna, you're gonna get sick of
8: us that'll never, happen.
0: That'll never happen thank you for your time sir
8: i appreciate you thank you very much and you have a good day there captain
1: Thank you, you too.
0: (laughs) We'll talk to you tomorrow with the family.